for giving us the opportunity to come together once again. David Chaim said it's been 10 years since we have been doing this here, which is an incredible thing to think about. And I also want to thank the many sponsors who are <clears throat> tonight to make it possible. I want to thank Benji Mayer and David and Sammy and David and Harry and the many people who helped out to take care of all the logistics. It's easy to just walk in to the room and find everything set up. But it's a lot of effort and it's a lot of behind-the-scenes work to make it possible. And we thank each of you and your families. I want to dedicate the Torah that we're going to learn tonight to all the Jews who have been most nefesh for Kali Yisrael these last couple of months. And Befrat, for those Jews who have given their lives al Kiddush Hashem, Hashem Yenkom Damam. We've been learning a lot of B'nai Yisachar this year in, in YU, and, and here Shabbos morning we're learning the Agra Tekala. 
And the Bnei Yisrael has a beautiful tefillah that some recite before Hadlakas Neros. Beautiful Yihiratzon. And he writes there, he says that Yihiratzon, that Kodesh Baruch Hu should accept our Hadlakas Nerchanaka, Ki'ilu Kivanti Kola Kavanos. As if I knew, Halavai, as if we knew all of the Kavanos, Shekivnu HaKohanim Misharsei Hashem, the Heilige Kohanim, Yidei Kohanecha Kedoshim, the Holy Kohanim, the servants of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, everything that was going on in their minds and in their hearts, Be'is Asher Heru Lamaves Nafsh. When there was a Hisorirus, when there was an awakening, Asher Heru Lamaves Nafsh. When they were prepared to put their lives on the line. They understood it was an incredibly difficult uphill battle. Beruchnius, Vigashmius, Vigashmius, Beruchnius. Rishos Harav. And why were they most renefish in that way? The Bnei Yisrael writes in his Tvila Bishvil, quote, Shimcha Hagadol Hagibor Vanur. And therefore, I want to, I want to dedicate our, our learning tonight. I want to dedicate our learning tonight to all of the Jews who have given their lives al Kiddush Hashem and to daven in a real way. It's not an easy thing to think about. But I want to try to learn together tonight that we, sh- that we should be Zoha Ve'emes. That it's not easy to imagine, not easy to understand how it works. But that we should daven, that we should daven in a real way over these Torahs. That we should be Zoha to see those people again soon. That as Jews, we believe in Mashiach, we believe in Tchiyas HaMesim. And that has so much to do with the Indian, the Sugi of Hanukkah and Zos Hanukkah B'chad. The Bnei Yisrael had a Rebbe, Rebbe Yoshua of Dinov. Talmud of the Berdichever, a very Heli Geyid. Someone once lent me a very, very small volume. Leo Ezra Fuchs lent me a little volume called Niflos Rebbe Yoshua Mi Dinov. The Rebbe of the Bnei Yisrael, it's a tiny little volume, skinny little volume, written by a Yid in Eretz Yisrael, a big historian of Rebbe's and Hasidus. And he tells the Maisa, he said, the one time, Rav David Dinover, son of the Bnei Yisrael, overheard people talking about this Rebbe Yoshua of Dinov. The Bnei Yisrael was Mamale Makomo after he left this world. And Rav David of Dinov said, talking about Rebbe Yoshua of Dinov, I'll tell you about Rebbe Yoshua of Dinov. He said, Rav of Dinov once brought chickens back from the dead. What was the nice It was a kid named Rav Moshe Rubenfeld. And he was a relative of Rav Shiel And he once came to Rav Shiel before Yom Kippur. And he brought along chickens for Kaparos. And he brought them along, and he was all exciting, and he walked into Rabbi Yeshua of Dinov, and he said, he said, Rabbi Yeshua, I brought, I brought chickens for Kaparos. Amazing. And he opened up the, the box, the bag, whatever he had them in, the way it's brought in the safer, he took them out of the sack. And he opened the bag, and he saw the chickens were dead. He started to cry. He said, I shot these chickens 50 kilometers to, to be so excited to give the Rebbe Chicken for paparos, and now he was, he was so, it's a brachin over I slept it, and I paid for it, and I was, you know, I'm embarrassed. And Rabbi Shuv Dinov saw how broken this Jew was, 
this Ramosha Rubenfeld. And he told them, he said, what are, you, what, are you, what are you so worried about? Maybe they're not dead. Maybe they're just, it's a long journey. Maybe they're cold. Maybe they're just like a little frozen. They need to wake up. So Misha was holding the chicken in his hand. The chicken was mamish lifeless. And he said, Rabbi, no, I wish you were right, but the chickens are dead. So Yeshua said, trust me. He said, I, I, think, I think the chickens are just a little cold. Holding the chicken, the head's like flopping this way and that. He says, take the chicken, he says, take, take the chickens, put them next to the, next to the stove for a little bit. And I'll dive in that, uh, that they should wake up. And... So he puts the chickens on top, of the, on top of the stove by the furnace to warm up a little bit. The frozen chickens. And Yeshua of Dinov starts walking in the direction of the stove. And as he's getting, before he even gets to the chickens, as he's getting close to the chickens, he's like, Sha, Sha, he tells the chickens, stop, stop making so much noise. The chickens are lying there lifeless. Sha, Sha. All of a sudden, the chickens jump up, and they hop off the stove, and they start running around. Rabbi David of Dinov says, you want to talk about Rabbi Shul Adinover? Rabbi Shul Adinover was a person who understood how to make Tchias Amesim. And Rishul Ladinavar didn't want to be nana from the chickens. He said, Maisa Nisim, I don't want to be nana from them. He gave away the chickens to, to Aniyam. You read a little Maisa like that. It's a, it's, I'm telling you, the Sefer is about, is about this big. There's like 10 stories in the whole Sefer. And it flows from Yeshua Midinav. I imagine if they felt that it was Kedai to put the story in, the chickens were not just cold, and they were not just frozen. The chickens were dead. But a tzaddik understands that with a little bit of warmth and a perspective, the eyes of a tzaddik to say, there's still life here. And to be able to relieve the pain of one yid was so tzabrachim that he slept these chickens all this way for nothing. That a tzaddik understands the pain of a yid, the tzaddik understands the secret of life, even by a chicken, with a little bit of tefillah and a little bit of the eyes of a tzaddik can bring, can bring about tchiyas the Rebbe Shemaisa, and we'll come back to it at the end. Shalak says that there's a big Indian to try to, if you want to understand the Yomtiv, so it's important for a person, Lasso's Dover Beito. He says, we say Parshas Tamid every day to fulfill Neshama Parms Vasenu. He says, Shabbos Shkalim, you should learn Misach Shkalim. Shabbos Para, you should learn the Mishnayis of Para. Each Yom Tov, you should learn that Yom Tov. Study the Sugi of Kiddush HaChodesh on Parshat HaChodesh, Psachim on Pesach. On Yom Tov, you should learn Meseches Beitzach, Chagiga, Moed Kotam, Meseches Megillah. V'chein b'chol zmanu, zman ha-mesechtos ha-shaychos. You should always learn the Mesechtos. If you want to understand the Yom Tov, whereas the Shem Yishmuel brings in the name of the Kotzker in Parshat Nitzavim, that the Chachamim hid the light of the Yom Tov in the Mesechtos. You can't come to the Yom Tov without the Torah, of the Yom Tov, you have to study the Torah of that Yom Tov. And to the degree that a person taps into the light, which is contained within the Torah of that Yom Tov, the Mesecht of that Yom Tov, so a person comes to understand the Yom Tov. It's especially true at the beginning. At the beginning of the Mesecht, Pinchas Koritzer says there's always a lot written at the beginning of the Mesecht. At the beginning of a Seder, go through Seder Moe, there's big Mesechtas at the beginning, but then it starts to fizzle out a little bit, Mesechtas get a little smaller. There's a reason for that. There's a lot of ore at the beginning. Or like Ratzadok writes in his farm, the first time a word appears in the Torah, that's the root of that idea. The first time a letter appears in the Torah, that's the root of that idea. 
And therefore, I want to try to identify the root, the shoresh, the starting point, where all the ore of Hanukkah emerges from. <coughs> what I sometimes like to call the, the apple seed. Because I once saw an amazing quote. Someone once said, anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only Hashem can count the number of apples in a seed. To realize that the seed could become a tree, the tree could produce apples, the apples will have other seeds, and forever, that one little seed has within it the potential to create more trees and more apples, and more seeds and more trees and more apples. So I want to try to find the shorish, the root, the seed from which all of Hanukkah emerges. And it's a hard question because we don't have the Masechah's You can't open up the Masechah and learn the first Mishnah and say, here's the shorish, here's the root, here's the ore of Masechah's Hanukkah. It's a very hidden yomtiv. But when we don't have Masechah, we can turn to Hilchah's Hanukkah. We can turn to the sugya of my Hanukkah, Shabbos, Tafchaf, Aleph, and Medbiz, where the Gemara says, what is Hanukkah? What is this whole thing about? And the Gemara says that on the 25th of Kislev, are the eight days of Hanukkah, Dilo lemisved v'hom. That we don't have eulogies on Hanukkah. That's the apple seed of Hilchah's Hanukkah. You don't have a eulogy on Hanukkah. You open up a Shulchan Aruch, it's in the Tafresh Ayin, which Sadiqim say, Tirah in Aramaic means an opening, a Pesach, a Shah in Aramaic. It's the Aramaic word for a gate. Like the Hebrew is Shar. A Torah is a, is a Pesach. And you open up to the opening of Hilchos Hanukkah. And the Mechaber writes, B'chafhei b'kislev maschilin shmonas yimei Hanukkah v'asurim b'hesed. The first thing you need to know about Hanukkah is that you're not allowed to have a eulogy on Hanukkah. That's the first thing I need to know about Hanukkah. Of all the things I need to know about Hanukkah, I mean, the Gemara goes on and says that the Yavadim were Matavi the Heichal, and they found a flask of oil, and there wasn't enough to last for only one day, and they lit it and lasted for eight days, and they made a Yom Tov Ahal That's Hanukkah. The first halacha, the Shoresh, the apple seed, the, the starting point, the place where the ore is Gamuz of Hanukkah is, is Asur Behesped. That's the whole thing. That's the essence of Hanukkah. A strange thing. It's important to remember that we're sitting here tonight. And I know everyone knows it, but we have to say the words out loud sometimes because they're, they're words that are so hard to say and they're, they're strange words, but Maklai is out of war right now. That means there are people fighting right this second. And every second of our day. Simchas Torah this past year, it's one of the worst days in, certainly in recent Jewish history. Probably for many of us, it was the worst day that we remember in our lifetime. And it hasn't ended. There's not a day that goes by where some Russia's calling for another Holocaust. And then they try to say, a taich, you know, they'll try to explain, well, intifada doesn't really mean intifada, and kill Jews doesn't really mean kill Jews, it just means... But the Pashtas is, and it's hard to say the words, but the world wants us to be dead. The world wants Kalei to just go away. And we haven't even had a chance to be properly masked the Jews who died on Simchas Torah. Hashem should avenge their blood. We hear Lo'aleinu Kimat every day. 
We should hear no more about loss of soldiers of Yidin in Eretz Yisrael, where most of Nefesh were called Yisrael. There are people who were, who were murdered on Sivchas Torah. They haven't even had a chance to be identified yet. We don't even know what happened or if are they hostage? Were they are they are they dead? Lo Aleno. It's hard to know sometimes which is worse. And we haven't even had a chance to give them a proper hesed, to give a eulogy, to begin a process, a very, very small beginning of a process of nechama, of trying to accept that this person is no longer with us. Yosef HaTzadik, who's the person of Hanukkah, the Torah personality who corresponds to Hanukkah, when Yosef goes missing, Yaakov Avinu is struggling. Is he alive? Is he dead? What's with him? Where is he? They're trying to comfort him. They're saying, Yaakov, it's time for a hesped. It's time to, it's time to bury the idea of Yosef at Tzadik. And he can't be comforted. Because Chazal tell us that a person who's alive, it's impossible to properly find comfort. Chazal, give us, Hashem gave us a bracha that after 12 months, a person can begin to slowly, halacha reflects that, to be able to move, to move forward after a year. But Yosef was still alive, so Yaakov was struggling. But the Mepharshim asked, the Shlach Kadosh asks, the Rechaim Kadosh asks, but if Yaakov can't move on, so then he knows Yosef's alive. The Shlach Kadosh quotes from Rav Moshe Israelis, from the Ramah, that Yaakov Avinu thought Yosef was dead. So he mourned Yosef at Tzadik. Mamash heard reports like this in recent weeks. And then they found out that the person's really alive. Yaakov tries to mourn Yosef, and at the end of the year, he still feels, I can't, I can't move on. Ah, so that means Yosef's alive, or maybe it means that I started the Avelis early, I started counting the 12 months too early, and really he's dead, so I have to count again. So I'll count again, I'll wait another year. And after another year, he sees that what? He's still not comforted. So maybe I, maybe I miscalculated again. And Rav Moshe Israelis writes such a painful thing, the Ramah writes such a painful thing, the Shlach Kadosh quotes it, the Yaakov Avinu mourned Yosef HaTzadik over and over and over again. Again and again, because he had no idea. I thought he was dead, he's obviously not dead, but maybe, maybe since the time I started last, and now he, by now for sure he's dead. And he still couldn't get over it. And year after year after year, Yaakov Avinu struggled to make sense of what had happened to his beloved Yosef. Reliving his death again and again and again and again. Ayla told us Yaakov Yosef. Whatever happens to Yaakov happens to Yosef. What happened on the Yom Tov of Yaakov Avinu Sukkis is still happening now on Hanukkah. Again, we haven't given a proper hesped. There's still hostages. There's still hostages. More than a hundred people held hostage. And then we open up Hilchas Hanukkah and it says, you, know, you, you, you can't give a husband. The first thing you have to know is you can't give a husband. And that's somehow supposed to be the essence of Hanukkah. You can't give a husband. That's the whole punchline of Hanukkah. That's the, that's the Shorish of Hanukkah. Al-Anisim, Val-Apurkan, Val-Aguros, Val-Achuos. Lusuf Svart says, Va'al Haniflos, Va'al Hanechamos, Va'al Hanechamos. On the Nechama and on the Mochamos. So where's the where's the nechama? You're not allowed. To, you're not even allowed to give a hesed. Where's the nechama? 
Where's the Nechama? We have Mesorah, the Bnei Sasra brings it, the Yaakov Avinu left this world on the first night of Hanukkah, uh, the first night of, of Sukkot, on Tesva of Nisan. Maybe not at night, maybe by day. He left the world on Tesva of Nisan. And the Torah says that Yaakov was mourned, Yaakov Avinu was mourned for 70 days. And the B'nai Yisrael says that those 70 days concluded on Hanukkah. The Egyptians mourned Yaakov Avinu for 70 days, from Sukkot to Hanukkah. But I heard once from Yisrael Simchashor, Shlita, son of Gedal Yisrael Zatzal, that the 70 days from Sukkot are up at the beginning of Hanukkah. And then after 70 days of crying, they finally sat Shiva officially for Yaakov Avinu. And Rishal Simchashur said that the burial of Yaakov Avinu took place on Zoscham. That the Kvura of Yaakov Avinu, after all the crying, after all the Egyptians were crying over Yaakov Avinu, the burial of Yaakov Avinu, 70 days of crying, they sat Shiva, the burial was on Zoscham. I know someone's going to try to check the math. It's not going to work out exactly how you want it to work out. This is what Sadiqim tells us. Why was Mitzrayim crying over Yaakov Avinu? Mitzrayim was so, so subrachim. That Sadiq Yisod Olam, Yaakov Avinu left the world. What were they, what were they crying about? Rav Yitzchak Isaac Chover writes in Adrashim, Siach Yitzchak. They were crying over Yaakov Avinu because they wanted Yaakov to be dead. They wanted to cry and cry. They wanted to cry Yaakov to death. They wanted us to say Yaakov Avinu Mace. But the Gemara tells us Yaakov Avinu Lomes. The Gemara Mesechus Tana says Yaakov Avinu Lomes. And therefore on Zos Hanukkah, even the day that they buried Yaakov Avinu, a Jew has to open up Hochul's Hanukkah and protest and say, I'm not making a hesed. I'm not ready to close the books. I'm not ready to say that this person is gone and it's time to eulogize and move on. Because as Jews, we believe in Tchiyas HaMesim. As Jews, even after a Yid is buried, Hanukkah says, but, he, but he's not gone. Hanukkah says, he's still, he's still with us. I Shlomo Freifeld one time, he was driving an old beat-up yeshiva shakar. He's trying to make his way to Williamsburg. The car broke down at Crown Heights. He was blocking a highway. He, he jumps out, everyone's honking, he doesn't know what to do with his car, he runs and calls his friend for a payphone, he says, you gotta pick me up, I need help getting the car off the road, everyone's screaming at me, his friend was nearby, his friend comes running from a couple blocks away, he runs over, the two of them start pushing the car, starts pushing the car, Freifeld jumps in, he starts stepping on the gas a little bit, jumps out, starts pushing a little, he starts, jumps back in, he's stepping, all of a sudden the car starts to, you know, sputter, and Freifeld quickly jumps in, the young Rav Shlomo Freifeld, he jumps back into the car, and his friend expects him, okay, at least he'll get out of the way so other cars can pass. Harry Freifeld steers his way right back into the middle of the street. And his friend comes running up alongside of him as his car is like schlepping along. And he says, Shlomo, what are you doing? He says, your car, your car's dead. Pull over to the side. He says, where are you going? He says, I'm, I'm going to Williamsburg. He says, but your car, you're not going to make it to Williamsburg. He says, your car, your car just died. He says, my car didn't die, it just fainted. My car fainted. 
by Am Yisrael, a Jew never dies. Even when a Jew leaves this world, the Jew doesn't die. How beautiful it is, how incredible the imagery is. And when Tosos wants to understand how could it be that there was a Pach Shemin that was pure, in fact, the Gemara says, Timu Kol Hashmanim there was no pure oil. The whole base of Mikdash was Tamei. What do you mean they found that? The Gemara says, Timu Kol Hashmanim All of the oil was impure. And Tosos says, if there was a Gezeira of Tumas Hesed, all it took for a jar to be Tamei, it doesn't have to be smashed, it just has to be touched. All it took was a Yavani, a Syrian Greek soldier, to touch the jar of oil, and it's Tameh. So even if they found the jar intact, how did they know it was pure? Tosfo says an amazing thing. Tosfo says, you know where the Pach Shemin of Hanukkah, the miraculous jar of Hanukkah, was found? It was Tomun Bukhara. It was buried in the dirt. It was buried underground. What an incredible thing for a Jew to, to think about as we sit here. On the night that Tzaddikim tell us that Yaakov Avinu was buried, when the Egyptians tried to mourn him because they wanted him to just go away, that the Pach Shemen that brought us, the Yom Tov that's going to carry us until Mashiach, was found, Mamish, buried, Kvura, Mamish, buried in the dirt, and that such a pure and shining light come from such a place, that a Jew, even after we're buried, the story's not over, Hilchus Hanukkah says, the Chafei B'Kislev are the days of Hanukkah. The Lola Mispar Bahom. You can't say Ahasved because the story is not over. So Dikim tell us, you look at the name Yavan, it's a Yud. A Yud is a Yid. We were singing before Geshmak to be a Yid. A yid, is, a yid is above this world. The letter Yud is floating. Of all the Hebrew letters, the letter Yud is floating. Yavan comes, they take a Yud, they drag it down to a Vav. Yud becomes a Vav, they drag it down. A Vav rests on the line. And then they try to say, nun so feet. And nun so feet goes below the line. It's buried. It dips beneath the surface. It's buried in the dirt. It's an old sugya. It's yafes. It's shame and yafes. Back by Noah, yafes was given kvura. I don't have time to go into that right now. But the whole Indian of Yavan is to try to bury a yid. To say, you're done. It's over. The story's over. Yaakov Avinu Mes. Hilchus Hanukkah says, Chiyas Throughout Hanukkah, each night, the Rizal explains, we're bringing down one of the Yud Gimel Midos Shorachim. Every night we bring down a little bit more. According to the calculation of the Arizal and the Vilnagon, the first night is Kel, Rachum, third night is Chanun, Erech is the fourth night, Apayim, all the way to the eighth night is Notzer Chesed. But we know there's Yud Gimel Midos Tonight is Notzer Chesed. But we got to finish the Yud Gimel Midos. So that means Zos Hanukkah, what's so special? Zos Hanukkah, this is Hanukkah. It's not just a little bit of Rachmanis on this night. Each night you get a little Rachmanis. The first night you get Kel, the second night you get Rachum, the third night you get Chanun. On the eighth night of Hanukkah, on the conclusion of Hanukkah, when the menorah is full, and I was thinking tonight as I lit my menorah, we start all the way on the left side, as gvur dik as it can be. We fill it up with light all the way to the right side, all the way to chesed. On the last night of Hanukkah, we don't just bring down a little bit of Rachmanis, but it's Noster Chesed, it's the eighth, 
La Alafim, it's the ninth. No Se Avon, it's the tenth. Vafesha, it's the eleventh. Vichata, it's the twelfth. Vinake, it's the thirteenth. We bring down an incredible amount of Rachmanis on the last night of Hanukkah. It's what we've been davening for all of Hanukkah. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu saved us from those evil Yavanim who rose up against us and he saved us with a lot of Rachmanis. Not just a little Rachmanis. Each night's a little Rachmanis. On those Hanukkah, it's a lot of Rachmanis. We bring the whole thing down. It's Racham and Rabbin. Like we've been davening. Hashem, you stood by our side, you fought our battles, you defended our honor, and you took vengeance against our enemies. You settled the score. And it's reminiscent of what we daven every single day. When we ask the Kaddish Baruch Hu, Mechayei Meisim, Berachem Emrat. Berachem Emrat. That's what Zos Hanukkah is about. It's Tchiyas HaMesim. The bracha that ends in Shmona Esrei. Mechayei HaMesim. We say, Mechayei Meisim, Berachem Emrat. That's what's happening on Zos Hanukkah. Mechayei Meisim is Gematria, Berachem Emrat. That's the abundant Rachmanus that we're bringing down on this day. A Rachmanis that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to us when you're feeling down and you feel like you can't go on and you just want to throw in the towel and give a hesped on Klal Yisrael, Yaakov Inu Mace? Because there's so many people who wish we would just give up already. A Jew says, Mechayi Mace and Baruch And it's not just that we bring down all the way to the last of the Yud Gimel, Midos Shorachimim, but what we're really doing is we're also tapping into the last, the Yud Gimel Ikarim. And of course, the last of the Yud Gimel Ikarim is Animamin Bemuna Shlema, Shetiatchias Hamesin Beis Shiala Ratzon Meis Habori Esbarach Shemo. What a funny Lashon we find in our Siddur. I look forward to the day that Hashem is going to make a Tchias Hamesin. Beis Shiala Ratzon Meis Habori Esbarach Shemo. When Hashem gets in the mood, when Hashem finally decides that it's time. When it pleases the Rabbanu Shalom, be'ais shiyale rotzon. When Hashem has a desire, Rabbanu Shalom, the Yavanim came la'aviram mechuke ritzonecha that you shouldn't have a rotzon. That Hashem, you should also give up a kolis. This idea of the Jewish people, you should just call it a day. Yaakov Avinu Meis, say a hesped and move on with your life, Rabbanu Shalom. And Hilchos Chanukah says, not a chance. Hilchaz Hanukkah says if we have to dig ourselves literally out of the dirt to find that Pach Shemin, that's what we'll do. Yaakov Avinu Lomes, Am Yisrael Chai, and Hashem is going to have a Ratzon to bring us back. So I want to end with a, a Maisa that I shared with a couple people in the room before Yom Noram. When I shared it at the time, I didn't even realize how relevant this Maisa would be to this year. And even if you heard it, it bears repeating, but most of you probably didn't hear it. Rav Ginsburg is the Rav of the Chavetz Chaim Torah Center in Cedarhurst. He said he got a call one time from one of his old Balabat, and he called them up. He said, my son 
My son, who is very Ginsburg new, part of the shul, went to Eretz Yisrael for a year after high school, like so many people do. And he learned, and he fell in love with Eretz Yisrael. He decided, I'm going to join a Hezri Yeshiva. He continued to learn and eventually entered the army. Three years after he entered the army, he was already incredible. This individual had incredible kochos, both in terms of his physical skill, in terms of his leadership qualities. And he quickly climbed the ranks. He became a Chashev officer in the army. This was the summer of 2005. And he was assigned as a head of a group to lead a group of soldiers into Gush Katif to pull Jews out of their home. And he said, I can't do that. That I can't do. I'm, not. I'm too new here. And I can't do it even if I've been here forever. Allah has come of a I'm going to go. I'm going to pull Jews out of their home. I'm going to rip Jews out of their home. And he has to be released from that request. And the, the government orders came down. No, this is what's happening. The settlers are going to be removed from their homes. And he had no choice. I mean, he had a choice to give up everything. But he felt, not for his own covet, he felt that he had the sensitivity that if someone has to do it, at least I can try to do it in a proper way, in a sensitive way, whatever that means, to uproot a Jew from their home. So he decided he's going to do it. And he's going to do it in the most covetic way that a person could do the most horrific thing. He says the morning of the evacuation, he comes to this moshav where he was assigned and he comes to a small shul. Everyone from the Moshav is gathered in the shul. The Rav of the Moshav is there. Everyone's davening. Everyone's crying. He's standing there with soldiers. There's a bus waiting outside, literally to take people away from their homes in Eretz Yisrael. He said, everyone's davening. The soldiers are davening and crying. And the people there are davening and crying. The Rav of the shul is davening and crying. And, and he goes over to the Rav of the shul and he gives him a big hug and he holds him and he says... He says, we have to go. We can't have brothers fight against brothers. We have to go peacefully. Don't make us drag you out of here. It's, 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 it's only going to make what has to happen worse. And they daven together, and they sang together, and they, they hugged together, and they cried together. And then the Rav and this officer, this American-born fellow who had become a Hashem officer in the IDF, arm-in-arm arm with the Rav, they walked, everyone left the shul, and the two of them were the last two out of the shul, arm in arm together. And they're boarding a bus. And just as he's about to get on the bus, the soldier stops in his tracks. He takes his backpack, he takes his knapsack off his back, and he pulls out his personal sitter. And he opens up his sitter to the inside cover, where his name already is, and he writes the date. And he falls to his knees and he starts digging a hole in the dirt. And he's digging and he's digging and he's digging and he's digging. He makes himself a small hole and he places his sitter in the hole and starts covering it over with dirt. The Rav looks back and he sees what the soldier is doing. And he comes over and he says, what are you doing? So he says to the Rav, that Moshav, he says, I don't know when, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years, maybe 25 years. He says, I don't know when Jews are going to come back to this place. 
But I know, believe, Shalim, that Jews are going to come back to this place. This is Eretz Yisrael. I know Jews are going to come back here, and I want that when Jews come back to rebuild, I hope that someone will find my sitter, and they'll see my name, and they'll see the date, and they'll know that even though the Jewish people were removed from this place, they'll realize that Jews were once here, we were here first, this is our place, and that while they left with their bodies, they left their hearts behind, they left their they left their neshamas behind. And they hugged again, and they cried together again, and they got on the bus. Eleven months later. Eleven months later, the same soldier is an officer in the engineer's corps. He gets orders to go into Gaza on a particular mission to try to take out some terrorists, Simach And they go in under the cover of darkness, and they set up a, an encampment it's impossible to see exactly where they are. They have the coordinates, but they don't really know where anything is. And they're preparing, they're setting up shop, a headquarters, to be able to go on missions deep into Gaza, on these very dangerous missions. He said they went in at night, they set up, morning comes, the light of morning comes. And he looks, he looks out and he sees, it's, it's a horba, it's a wasteland. He can't, he... he he can't believe what had happened in 11 months. He left a place of beautiful Jewish communities, homes, shuls, life, agriculture. And he saw mountains of debris and devastation, the whole place just... He looks this way and that, he doesn't recognize anything. And then all of a sudden he falls to his knees, right where he's standing. He doesn't know, he, he Mamish has no idea where he is. He, fall, he drops on the spot. He falls to his knees right on the spot and he starts digging in the dirt. And he's digging and he's digging and he's digging and he's digging and he pulls out his own sitter. He's shaking. He's crying and he's shaking. And he's, he's in total shock. Like, what, what, what's the Kaddish Baruch Hu saying? What are the chances I'm in the exact spot? He didn't recognize any of it. What are the chances I'm in the exact spot where I was 11 months earlier. So he calls his father. He says, you got to ask Rabbi Ginsburg. you got to ask our Rav. What's Hashem saying to me? Rabbi Ginsburg is a flush of person, but he understands that certain questions are for certain types of people. And he said, I am not, I can't, I'm going to tell you what Hashem said. He said, I have a Kesher, in front of Chaim Konyevsky's sons, I'll get you, I'll get you a, a meeting with Rav Chaim. He arranges it that Motzei Shabbos. He goes to the home of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, to Chesadik, the Kaddish Levracha in Bnei Brak, and he asks Rav Chaim, he says, what's Hashem saying to me? I dug up my own sinner. Rav Chaim says to him, when you heard the orders, you're going to have to pull people out of their homes. What did you do to prevent the expulsion from Gaza? So he says, what did I do? I did everything. I, I argued, I advocated, I tried to excuse myself. I, I did everything that I could. Everything, and I davened, I davened every day. Rabbi Shalom overturned this decree, this, this wicked decree. And he said, and after, and after you heard that you were going to have to do it anyways, what did you do? He's like, I, I continued to daven. He said, and, and then what happened when you were leaving? As you were getting onto the bus, 
So he says, that's what I just told her. That's what I just told her. That's a, it was at that point I realized it was over. So what could I do? It was all over. Rav Chaim Kanyafsi said to him, you underestimated the power of tefillah. You underestimated the power of tefillah. When it looked like it was all over, you should have taken your sitter in your hand and you should have continued to doubt. And who knows, maybe a Kodesh Baruch at the last second would have overturned the whole thing. He said, and you chose to bury your sitter in the ground. You chose to put down your sitter. You decided it was over. Hashem didn't decide it was over. You decided it was over. So you know what Hashem is saying to you? Hashem Baruch was saying to you, take your sitter back. Take your sitter back, which you buried. The sitter that you thought was dead. Take back your sitter and pour out your heart for Eretz Yisrael. And pour out your heart for Klaus. Because a Jew never buries a sitter. A Yid never buries a sitter. I want to ask the Rabbana Shalom, on behalf of all of us, on behalf of all of Klaus. If Rabshila Dinavar could bring a couple of chickens back from the dead with a little bit of warmth from a stove somewhere in Galicia and a desire to alleviate the pain of one Jew who was a little bit sabrachim that the chickens that he slept for Kaparos are no longer in Rabbana Shalom and Rabbana Shalom and Zos Hanukkah Kalyas over davening how could you not make a Tchias HaMesim for 1,500 Yidin? Precious Jewish Hashemahs who gave their life, Al-Kiddush Hashem. Not by the warmth of a little stove somewhere in Poland or Galicia, but by the light of the warmth of the Neros Hanukkah. A full minute. And it's not to alleviate the pain of one Jew, it's not that one Jew shouldn't be so tzavrachim. It's that all of Klal Yisrael should be able to have the nechama, ala nisim, ala nechamos, ala milchamos. That we should be able to have that nechama. That we should be able to say to the world, Yaakov vinu lomes. we understood the secret of the first halacha of Hanukkah. So I give us all the bracha, which should be zocha. Like I said at the beginning, it's so hard to picture these things. Tchias Mason, such a foreign idea to us. How does it work? What does it look like? We daven every day. Tonight is a night of rachem and rabbin. From Notzer Chesed all the way to Benakim. So I give us a bracha. Let's not bury our sederim. Let's not give up when Hanukkah is over and say we didn't we didn't achieve what we were meant to achieve. As a cynical person might say, Zos Hanukkah, this is Hanukkah, it's over already. What did I accomplish? To believe that Zos Hanukkah has within it the secret of Tchiyas that all of Hanukkah has within it the secret of a Pach Shemen, a lichtiger jar of oil that came from the dirt. And we Hashem, we should all be Zochah to see how a Kaddish Baruch Hu is in the Kamtas Nikma Sam, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu avenges the suffering of Klai Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings us all back to Eretz Yisrael, to Yushalayim, Yer Kodesh, to Besamikdash, to the Gula Shleim, and Tchiyas HaMesim, to Pera Amen.
Changing the gunam, but I've been bothered this whole yontav. Why do we say the ain kates the mehara? Like the bad's never going to end. I've been cha- I've, the whole the whole Hanukkah I've been saying the yesh the yesh kates the mehara. So let's let's I don't know. You can sing it how you want. I can't hear everyone singing it, but I'm going to sing it the yesh kates the mehara. Because why should we say ain kates? What kind of defeatist yesh dika attitude is that? Yesh kates the mehara. There's going to be an end to the bad, and we're going to see the gula So Let's sing it that way. Yeah. 
Oh, no, no, no. 